and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Kate Wolf, editor-at-large for LARB, and I'm joined remotely today by my co-hosts, LARB's managing editor, Medea Ocher, and LARB's gender and sexuality editor, Eric Newman. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hi, guys. And this week, we're speaking with Alexander Nanau about his new documentary, Collective. I wasn't on this interview, and I didn't have a chance to watch the documentary. Would you guys tell me about it? It's a documentary about corruption and the hospital system in Romania. And it kind of picks up, we, we get into this a little bit in the interview, but it picks up after the aftermath of a terrible fire in which like a bunch of young people got serious burns. And then when they went to go to the hospital to get treated, they ended up in many cases dying or being harmed by bacterial infections that it turns out was because people through a, a series of corrupt acts were not using proper sanitizing equipment. Oh, no. The story is so shocking, to me at least, that I I think we spend a lot of time with Alexander just recounting it and asking why and asking questions about the way corruption functions, you know, at the highest levels of the Romanian government and not really getting so much into the the film itself and the and the way it's made. It's very artful film. It's kind of like a cinema verite. And um, it's like, how does he have the access? You forget he's there. It's the fly on the wall kind of thing. I think it was a painstaking process for him where he shot it over a year and then edited it for a long time. Just the actual story of it is just so gripping that we don't talk much about the process of making the film. Have either of you seen another Romanian movie called The Death of Mr. Lazarescu? No, I have not seen that. I don't know if you remember this, but there was like a brief sort of celebration of Romanian film, I think, that I was at least somewhat aware of. And yes, there was I, I remember that. Yeah. I feel like this was maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. And one of the movies that I saw during during this time was um, this movie called The Death of Mr. Lazarescu. And it, it's about corruption in the medical system in Romania. It's about a, a man who goes from one hospital to another, to another, to another. It's also a parable, I think. and But an interesting link, perhaps, between Romanian documentary and Romanian fiction. I think Kate and I talk about this um, with Alexander on the interview, but it also had a kind of eerie resonance with right now, you know, at a moment when we see both, you know, the obvious damage that can be caused to populations when you have corrupt politicians and kind of corrupt government-led systems that end up harming the very people they are supposed to be protecting. So that felt like kind of especially in this uh, soon-to-be, hopefully, post-Trump era, very resonant in a much more global way beyond its, its kind of local context, which was nonetheless obviously very fascinating. And we should mention that this film is coming out this Friday and will be available on um, Redbox, iTunes, Amazon, and other streaming platforms and on demand. And it's really worth watching. Well, I'm excited to listen to the interview. Great. All right, let's do it. We are excited to have Alexander Nanau with us on the line today from Romania. Alexander is the director of several documentary films, including The World According to Ion B, which won an International Emmy in 2010, and Toto and His Sisters, which was a European Academy Award nominee in 2015. Alexander joins us today to talk about his new documentary, Collective, which centers on a journalistic investigation into corruption in the Romanian healthcare system. 
Following in the aftermath of a fire at a popular Bucharest nightclub, when burn victims started dying from bacterial infections while being treated in hospitals, the documentary follows a real-time investigation that unveils the widespread use of dangerously diluted sanitization chemicals in Romanian hospitals. Led by Sports Gazette journalist Catalan Tolotan and his team of reporters, the investigation reveals a network of corruption and bribes paid to officials and medical supplier Hexipharma that led, with unthinkable callousness and inhumanity, to the illness and deaths of their fellow Romanian citizens. Closely tracking the efforts of the Gazette team as they methodically discover layer upon layer of fraud and criminal malfeasance, and giving viewers an insider's look at then-Health Minister Vlad Vioculescu's efforts to bring transparency and justice to a corrupt system, Nanao's collective is a harrowing look at government corruption and the importance of a free press in partisan times across the world. Welcome to the show, Alexander. Thank you very much for having me. So, Alexander, I want to talk about when you came into this story, because the documentary, in the opening few scenes, the journalists are just starting to break the story of Hexapro. And it's amazing that you happen to be there right at that moment. So just talk a little bit about when you started making this and how you initially decided to follow these particular journalists and just the trajectory of the film. So basically, I was already triggered by the fact that after the collective club fire, we had the biggest demonstrations after the revolution that happened in 89, when a young generation took the streets instantly during the night, claiming from the political class to step back because the political class in Romania is known as highly corrupt. And the fire that happened, happened in a very popular club without fire exits. So it was clear to everybody that there must have been corruption that led the fire department to authorizing that club. And so I was interested to make a film and understand the relationship between the power and citizens in a pretty young democracy in Romania. But what overlapped was the fact that the authorities and health authorities manipulated and lied to the whole society that they can handle the health crisis with all the burn victims from the fire. And it was Catalin Tolontan and Mirela Nag and their team that were the first journalists to uncover the manipulation and the lies. And so we understood pretty fast that if we want to do an observation documentary, the point of view of journalists and the perspective on the topic of the relationship between power and the citizens would be best represented through them. So we approached them and asked them, after their first revelations, if they are still onto something, if they're maybe investigating further the healthcare system. And that's why we could be there when they uncovered this incredible fraud with the disinfectants. So this is the crisis where this all came to light, but I assume if this company had been diluting the antibacterial solutions for many, many years, there must have been problems beforehand in Romanian hospitals. Exactly. So the problem of Hospital infections was known in Romania. Most of all, it was known by the authorities. And there was, in Romania, it was said that there is no single family that doesn't have a family member that suffers of hospital infections he caught in the hospitals. So basically, Romania has still the most lethal hospital infections in Europe. As I was watching, I mean, there's a moment when Mirala, one of the journalists that is kind of central to the film, 
She and Catalan find out basically about this 10 times dilution of the antibacterial sanitizer. And there's a moment on the one hand that I, I see her split kind of as like, not saying this is necessarily a split between a journalist and a human, where on the one hand, as a journalist, she realizes that they've gotten the evidence that they need, right? The story that they have kind of been working on all along, it's now going to come out. But there's another moment where she suddenly recognizes, oh my God, all of us have been exposed to this. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about whether or not you were shocked by this kind of corruption and what comes up frequently in the film is the inhumanity of it, right? How willingly people were taking bribes and doing things that they knew were going to harm their fellow citizens. It was definitely a shock. I mean, we know in Romania that there's corruption in the healthcare system because everybody who goes to a hospital or to doctors in Romania goes with the envelope with money in it. So hospital doctors in Romania are always bribed. For sure, there are mm. exceptions, but still it is an inheritance from the communist system where doctors are gods and you bribe them if you want their services. But the level of inhumanity was a shock, first of all, with the authorities that in an organized manner with doctors and hospital managers and politicians decided to lie that they can take care of these patients, although they knew about infections, they knew they cannot treat burn patients in Romania. They prohibited the parents to fly their kids out to burn units in other European countries. And so that was the first step where we thought, like, this can't be true, that people are that cruel. But for sure, understanding that a company that is delivering disinfectants into almost all Romanian hospitals, 350 hospitals, is diluting them. And it is known since 10 years that they are doing it and mm -hmm. hospitals are buying them, although they know they are diluted. The scale of inhumanity of such a system is hard to grasp. And in a way, I understood that we are witnessing what Hannah Arendt described in The Banality of Evil, we are witnessing in real life. Attention that comes up often in the discussion by the ministers of health and other people who work in hospitals is the comparison between Romanian hospitals to be the best, just as good as any other in Europe, just as good as any other in Germany. And Romania joined the EU in 2007. I wondered about that tension, you know, that constant comparison to the rest of Europe, to trying to assert its place as a part of Europe, where actually the conditions are still hearkening back to its communist past. What you thought of that in the film? You know, the European Union and countries like Romania joining it meant practically that the legislation will be harmonized between the countries. But there's one thing, if you have a legislation and rules, and there's the other thing when systems don't follow the rules and cover them up and lie about being professional. So basically, it's just a very populistic approach in which authorities pretend to be what they are not. What was the objection, do you think, to letting patients out of the country and going to European hospitals? What do you think was behind that? It's very hard to say why they took that decision and organized themselves to tell the same lie. Because in every hospital, every manager of every hospital with their doctors came out on media and said the same lie. We can handle them. 
we are working with highest European standards. Why they did that, I mean, I think we get the answer in the film. They preferred in a health system where they are just stealing the public money instead of offering the proper health care, they preferred to have a crisis in which they have to spend a lot of money than to just pay bills to burn units in other European countries. So I think it all comes down to enriching themselves with the crisis. And we can see it right now with the pandemic in many countries. Mm-hmm. The minister that in the film says, our hospitals are as good as the German hospitals, is just being prosecuted for the bribes he was taking from hospitals managers he appointed that were supposed to steal money through companies that they buy stuff from. So there's your answer, is being prosecuted for the fact that as a minister, he appointed hospital managers just for getting their bribes and for letting them steal a lot of money. The natural follow-up to that is like in a system where, as your documentary shows, there is so much corruption, both historical and present. I mean, is there any sense that like those prosecutions will be successful? Unfortunately not. I mean, the current situation is as follows. The prosecution of Hexipharma, the court cases have no sentence since then, although it was so clear what they were doing. The hospital manager you see in the film was not prosecuted yet, although people around him that helped him were prosecuted. And there is no final sentence at all regarding to the people responsible for the fire. And the court case was not even opened upon the authorities that lied that they can treat the patients. So to answer your question, the civil society is strong, the journalists are strong, the whistleblowers are incredibly courageous, but our judicial system seems to be partisan and lacks a lot behind. I don't think that the reform of a society is possible if the judicial system is broken. And that's what people do that are populists. The first thing they do when they come into office is they destroy the judicial system. I wanted to ask then, you know, about the role of the press and what if you got a sense that the journalists were ever endangered for breaking these stories and just post to Tesco what the role of the press in Romania has been and how, how free it's really been. I think there were ups and downs. It's it's hard for me to talk about the time when I was not living in Romania, the 90s, which were a wild time here. But, you know, right now and back then, the big part of the media is owned by people that are very close to the power. But there are a lot of independent platforms of investigative journalists that bring out all the corruption and that really are doing the job of the judicial system. But then most of the things stop with the judicial system. So we have two really great investigative journalists, and they do a lot more than the judicial system does. Catalan becomes kind of this hero where people are chanting his names, you know, in protest for having broke these stories. And you don't think he was ever in danger? I mean, in other countries where there's intense corruption, there's often murders of journalists go hand in hand with that. I mean, Romania is still, we are part of the European Union. And although there are threats, for sure, and as I can only tell you what Catalin tells, there are always cars in front of their houses or following them. 
But still, it's a European Union country. And uh, fortunately, you know, it's not Russia or China. Fortunately, there is no physical harm of journalists yet. But the danger is different. It's a bit more like, because the media is so partisan, they would try it with defamation, for example, or they would attack him, as you can see also in the film, in the mm-hmm. studio where he is, you know, they would try to, in a way, to make his investigations look like fake news. So that's the threat. I know that, for example, at a certain point, there were also a minister of interior that came out and said, there's a list of three journalists in this country and they are anti-Romanian and they are spreading fake news, which is a strong statement if it comes from the minister of the interior. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, recorded remotely. We've been speaking with Alexander Nanau, whose new film is Collected. We'll return to that conversation in just a moment, but first we have this week's book recommendation. We have Brian Washington on the line with us today, and Brian's new book is called Memorial. It's his debut novel, but he's calling us to give us a book recommendation. Brian, what book are you going to recommend? I'm going to recommend Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong. Oh, okay. Tell me more. Uh, Why are you recommending that book? So I'm recommending it partly because I would not have been able to write Memorial if I hadn't read it because there Hmm. is a flexibility and there's a spaciousness and there's a groundedness in the novel and a consistency thematically that doesn't necessarily mean that it comes to easy conclusions or it is prescriptive or it operates in binaries. And I hadn't seen that done the way that Kong does it over the course of the novel Mm. before I read it for the first time. And that so captivated me. And it seemed really elusive just sort of as a project, which I think in a lot of ways made it a project on my end or a variation of that project worth trying to pursue. But it's so firmly rooted in place and time and in a moment. And the benefit of the doubt that Kong gives each of her characters, whether it's the protagonist, whether it's her father, whether it's protagonist's mother, whether it's her brother, whether it's the relationship that she sort of falls into, and she falls into it in a very natural way, and one that feels deeply lived in. And that, it just seemed like a really warm thing, and like a really amazing thing. Hmm. Wait, will you tell us very quickly what the book is about? Yes, oh, I should. <laughs> A 30-year-old woman named uh, Ruth, and she returns home to take uh, or help take care of her father who has found himself succumbing to Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, in her homecoming, uh, she's also reconnecting with her mother in a lot of ways. And, you know, her mother and uh, Ruth's father went through a really, really rough patch. And over the course of it, in addition to dealing with, you know, this family scenario, Ruth is dealing with her own life, right? Like being in the space that she 
grew up in and within this newly changed family dynamic in which she's found herself and coming out of the back end of the you know rough end of a relationship herself. So she's found herself at a transition point at the start of the novel. And another thing that just so stuck with me is that the novel was comfortable with ending in another transition point. And we don't find ourselves on, you know, the most stable foundation or with a clear cut direction or route for Ruth and her family, but it feels true, which is the rare thing I think in a story. Definitely feels um, true to our current state potentially also. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much, Brian. Will you tell us the title of the book again and the author? Of course. The title is Goodbye, Vitamin, and the author is Rachel Kong. We've been speaking to Brian Washington. His new book is called Memorial. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We now return to our conversation with Alexander Nanau, whose new film is Collective. So, you know, there's two figures in the film that I think gave me a lot of hope. Um, You know, obviously the journalists do. That would have been the then health minister, he's no longer health minister, uh, Vlad uh, Voiculescu. And also the doctor, Camelia Royo, who was the one that actually came forward and shared video evidence of the kind of things that were happening in the hospital, including a really gruesome video of a patient who had been operated on that had maggots. So can you talk a little bit about how you got connected with these people and especially with um, the health minister, kind of he seemed really committed to doing the right thing and being transparent. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like kind of filming him in real time as these things are happening? Yeah. So um, the Dr. Camelia Royo that you see later as the whistleblower is actually also the whistleblower in the beginning of the film. So she was really stores number zero. Okay. But in the beginning, we didn't, you know, film her with her face because it was still early in the process. But Camelia was the one whistleblower that changed really this whole uh, story. And Vlad Boyculescu, when the first technocrat minister of health that was protecting the, the company that was diluting disinfectants and said that he's part of the system and that's what he's doing, protecting the system. When he was brought down by the investigation, I heard that, among other people, uh, Vlad Wojkulescu, who was not a politician but a patient activist, that he was interviewed for the, for the uh, position as next Minister of Health. And I tried to contact him, and after a week we met. And he... You know, he put together his uh, young team. They were all from outside politics. Uh, and he said, listen, one of our main goals is transparency. We think that the, there is no reason for the Ministry of Health to have secrets uh, because we are dealing here with the health of the citizens and they have all the right in the world to know what decisions are taken here and upon which criteria the decisions are taken. Uh, so he agreed to to take this risk and let me be at his side in this cave of corruption, the Ministry of Health. And basically, what was in a way good for our, you know, for observational filmmaking is that also, as with the journalists, where 
the vortex of corruption and, and revelations uh, took on such a speed that we could just film without people being worried about that we're there. Uh, it was the same in the Ministry of Health. You know, the, the, the pressure became so high that we were just there embedded and uh, could film what was happening. I wanted to ask about the coronavirus in Romania and um, how the government has handled it and um, what its impact has been there. And if you think that that, you know, if the, if the incident at Collective wasn't enough to, you know, truly change the course of the government in, in the country, do you think coronavirus has more of a possibility of, of doing that? No, no. The, the collective changed the course of the civil society. We have a really strong civil society and uh, the government and the politicians, because they change all the time, it's different parties, but the same people, basically, uh, with the same attitude. They didn't build one single hospital since then, although they know you need new hospitals if you want to get rid of the bacteria. But the civil society organized and just finished building a, ho a huge hospital. And they did it with the money that all of us citizens uh, donated. And mm. a, quarter million, a quarter million euro was donated by the band Metallica for this hospital. So basically, uh, the authorities and the politicians, us, and with the hospital managers, keep stealing our money instead of investing it in hospitals that are promised all the time. And right now, during the coronavirus, they keep lying that there are no hospital infections. And basically, today... Uh, Tolontan revealed that in, I think, in 30 hospitals, the death rate of corona patients is as follows. 95% of those intubated die. Oh. Which means it must be because of the hospital infections. But the government still pretends that Romania has no hospital infections. The health minister at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in uh, in March of this year resigned because uh, Prime Minister Orban was dissatisfied with the apparently chaotic um, situation at the hospitals. You also just described that they had not made any necessary changes. And it sounds also from what you're saying that uh, who I believe is the current health minister, Nelu Tataru, has mm -hmm. not really done much to to do that. So all of the the weight of solving this has fallen on the citizens themselves. Exactly. It was uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, there, were, there was no equi equipment. And it was, again, the civil society that organized to bring equipment to the doctors because, you know, suddenly the doctors that didn't care about hospital infections because they were not dangerous for them, but mm -hmm. only for patients, became very... Uh, frightened for their lives, and they had no equipment. And it was not the Ministry of Health that brought the equipment because the Ministry of Health uh, was preoccupied with uh, who should get all the contracts for the mm. equipment. In the meantime, the civil society organized, brought equipment to the doctors, and also built the first modular COVID hospital. You know, I, I think because of the way the coronavirus crisis has been handled here in the U.S., I see so many... Uh, resonances and overlaps in, in some sense with what with the cover-ups that happened uh, rega regarding hospital infections act after the fire. I'm wondering how the fire and its victims are still present in popular culture now and um, how 
the event is how and if the event is memorialized um, and, and how much the, the lives of the, of the victims is, is, still, is still present. It is. I mean, it is memorialized every year for sure. But the biggest concern is that the victims are still waiting for the court case to be solved. And so right now, for sure, they passed a law that uh, ensures uh, the treatment of the burn victims for life. But still, they didn't get any compensation for what was done to them. There's no sentence uh, for the people that were responsible for the fire. And there's no court case. They filed a case after the fire, the parents and the victims against the authorities and their lies that killed them, actually. And the judicial system didn't even start that case. They're still interviewing people to find out what happened. The woman who has become, um, you know, who, who I, maybe you could say her name, um, who, who lost a, a hand and... Mariana Oprah. And she Mariana. calls her Teddy. Teddy. It, has she become an advocate at all for, for change within the health system? Um, is, is how... Is she is she very active and? I mean, she is a symbol in a way, for sure. She is, you know, people know her, and she became, let's say, the face of uh, resilience. But is you know, when you say that she became active in changing, th- you know, the the political system here and the healthcare system is impossible to penetrate. They don't get it, and they don't want to change things. For example, um, the salaries of doctors in Romania were raised at the same standard and, and you know, they have the same salaries as West, Western European doctors, but they would not stop taking bribes. I mean, I guess one way to kind of wrap this up is to ask how you see the future of Romania. I mean, is do you, it, it sounds like there's not much hope that... Um, the kind of political sphere will at least willingly decouple itself from the network of bribes and and other malfeasance that sustains it. But that also there is, as you say, there's this very strong kind of civil body that is, and journalistic body also that is pushing back against that. So kind of where do you see the future for Romania at this juncture? I think there's a lot of reason for hope because, because the civil society organized in that way and because people want change. Uh, and you can feel it, for example, in the meantime, much, m- many more young people come out and vote. And we, since two years, we have now uh, new, two new political parties that are, you know, that were made by people that come out of private businesses and said that, you know, we have to take our society back. The only way is to get implicated into politics. A bit like in the States, you know, where you see all these young people uh, being now elected as senators or in a Congress. And so this new political parties, we just had uh, local elections six weeks ago, and they managed to win over some of the major cities in Romania. And even Vlad Boiculescu joined these parties, and they're still waiting for him to be appointed, but he will be most probably appointed as vice mayor of Bucharest. But here I must say that they are still small. They have around 20%, let's say, of the political sphere, and uh, we have to see other political parties are trying to 
damage them. So there's a lot of populistic propaganda uh, against them because somebody like Vladimir Kulesko, for example, said, you know, once I'm appointed uh, vice mayor of Bucharest and I will be responsible for the hospitals in Bucharest, there will be no corruption. And I ask everybody who knows that he was corrupted to step back now because we're going to come in and go after all the contracts. I don't think that they will let him do his work. But it's a daily fight. And I'm, I'm very hopeful. I think that the fact that so many people elected this new party to take over the mayor is, is a very good sign. Uh, and people want change and uh, it will come. But it's a, daily, it's a daily fight. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Alexander. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking with Alexander Nanao. His new film is Collective. Thanks for listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. That will help us get the word out, and we'd love to hear from you. The producers of the LARB Radio Hour are Medea Ocher, Kate Wolf, and Eric Newman. The executive producer is Alan Minsky. Our sound engineer is William Broughton. Editorial production by Jake Levins. Our intro music was written and performed by Imogen Teasley-Vlotten. The publisher and editor-in-chief of the LA Review of Books is Tom Lutz.